to episode three of Average Ontario Anglers. So I'm your host today, Andrew, with my co-host, Jesse. So our, our main topic today that we're going to be discussing is about fishing lines. The three main ones, we got mono, fluorocarbon, and braid. Uh, initially, we're going to start off with our interesting fishing fact. At the end of the episode, we're going to have our question and answer, our, our AOA Q&A. We're also going to have announce the winner of our giveaway, which was that spider lure. And we're also going to be we posting later on in the next coming weeks or so. Uh, always keep posted for whenever we're asking for more questions to get entered into those draws yourself. But as for today, Jesse's going to surprise me with another interesting fishing fact. And we'll see if it lives up to its title of interesting. <laughs> well, this one is not insanely interesting but it is interesting oh, and we're cutting that out all right <laughs> but anyway this week is uh it's very ontario based so i thought i'd do an interesting fishing fact about the trent severn waterway Ooh, does that sound interesting i'm i'm my interest is peaked okay good so if you're not aware the trent severn waterway it's a canal route that connects lake ontario all the way up to georgian bay or lake huron i have questions for andrew to to, to guess because he's not going to know the exact answer, but I want to know if he can get close. But this waterway has been called one of the finest interconnected systems of navigation in the world. Is is Was that called by the actual people who take that or? No, that was from the Parks Canada website. So <laughs> A little biased in his statement. <laughs> but anyway, who knows who called it that, but that's what they said. But anyway, so it goes all the way from Lake Ontario all the way up to Lake Huron. What is the length in kilometers do you think if you were to drive from one end to the other how many kilometers would it be uh i i don't know i'm gonna be like is it 10 you know yeah. <laughs> i would i would say it's probably no one 12 1200 kilometers no one will judge you if you get it wrong 1200 kilometers no 386 kilometers okay andrew's an overachiever it's okay but anyway 386 kilometers that, like that's that's a lot it is that's if you were to drive that in a car that would be you know almost four hours depending on who's driving. But the fun fact is at full throttle in my sports power with my two and a half horsepower engine going 11 kilometers an hour. He can rip through those wake, no wake zones. It would take 35 hours <laughs> to make this run, not counting going through the locks. This this is going to be the next year's AOA like big film project of yeah. <laughs> canoeing the Trent Severn waterway. Journey of a lifetime. <laughs> 386 kilometers that's that's, that's nice. pretty crazy and it can hold boats up to 84 feet long so boats up to 84 and believe me that's i've been huge. fishing that's on the autonomy in my canoe and big huge cruisers come through there and i'm like holy crap that's got to be super tight in places because yeah. i know like i've been on my parents boat and you know like they just have a small little bow rider like it's it's 16 feet long a little less than 16 feet long and like that like yeah it's like that fits no problem but you're you're in there in a lock with you know three other boats you barely have space like yeah. it seems so close well, like, i'm sure the 84 foot <laughs> boats get the lock to themselves <laughs> but did you know that wow. there are uh, not 84 there is 44 locks wow. 44 locks and in some places uh sorry these are some of the places that it runs through and these are a lot of lakes that um you know maybe you fish these areas because you can fish all through here uh rice lake the Otonabee river you know i fish both those yeah. love sick lake I'm just naming the ones that I've... And that goes through up to Balsam and, and... Buckhorn, Cameron, Pigeon, Sturgeon, Cameron Lake, Lake Simcoe. Yeah. Like, it runs through a lot of, of lakes. It's crazy. Yeah. So, the history behind it is the first lock was built in 1833. And that's 190 years ago, if my wow. math is correct. And it's slowly continued. It's actually interesting. I'm not going to get into it. But the history of, like, you know, why they decided to build it was because of, you know, they wanted to have, you know, commercial ships going up to Lake Huron and, and be able to ship military fast. So it actually took, it, it was very slow. Like they built a lock, then they stopped, then they built another one. So it actually took till 1920. So almost a hundred years to build all this Wow. Uh, when it was finally completed and they did the first run. And the funny thing is, so this route was originally uh, created for commercial shipping, but by the, by the time that it opened in the 1920s, the commercial ships were massive. So I guess at the time they were like, oh, this will be big enough. And yeah. then finally it took them a hundred years to do. And by then the ships were huge. So now they, they were like, well, it's we, no longer just like trappers furs and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so they couldn't fit a ship through anyway. So now it's mostly used by, uh, uh, you know, fishermen and pleasure craft uh, route. So I thought that was pretty nice. funny that 
all this work happened basically for nothing. <laughs> now it is nice to be able to get from place to place, but it has also led to a lot of like invasive species like pike getting into certain yeah. places. But you know what? Whenever people get mad and say, oh, there was never pike in this lake before, those dumb pike. It's like, well, it's kind of our fault. Yeah, we, we connected, connected all it. the lakes. So blame ourselves <laughs> or blame the people from 1840 or whatever the heck. A li- so. little sidebar, because this is kind of like history. So I know the one thing my, my parents... Uh, they get really excited when they go to the locks about the lift locks. There's one in, in Peterborough area, I believe. Yeah. Um, so that like, there's literally a giant, two giant pails of water and they'll like lift the boat straight up and, and you carry on this, this waterway. Like it's crazy Just how they built it. looking at it is cool. So that makes sense why there's so many different, there's overland locks where you're on like a little rail car that goes over on some of them. So it makes sense that it's built over the course of over a hundred years technology changed so much in that time as to like what's the best way to transport a ship over these certain areas between lakes so it's kind of cool that's why it's so different in its operations from lock to lock that's actually makes a lot more sense so long to build that's crazy and now we just use it for basically fishing so anyway (laughs) except these fish in the locks come on in the locks but around them (laughs) but anyway how interesting would you say that is i like history so that's gotta gotta rate it pretty high I'd say it's, it's, it's an 8. 8 out of 10. Okay. Last week I, we I, used letter grades. Yeah, that's that's you. I use numbers. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. So anyway, that, that was my interesting fishing fact. So stay tuned for next week when we actually have another interesting fishing fact that maybe you will find interesting. <laughs> Only because I'm giving it. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on to our main topic of, uh, of today, which is fishing lines. So... Like I said at the beginning, there's three main ones. You've got braid, you've got monofilament, uh, and you have fluorocarbon are the three most popular lines out there that you can use that you're going to find in any tackle shop you go into. Uh, a lot of questions that people have, there's a lot of mis- misinformation about them, especially between fluorocarbon and mono. Um, a lot of different uh, people have different ideas as to what is best to use when, what are the benefits of certain lines to others? And I even did some research on how it's made because I like random crap like that. So <laughs> we're going to have a lot of information for you today to hopefully help you narrow down what you're looking to do uh, when you're on the lake, what you want to use, when you want to use it, where you want to use it. Because again, our, our whole goal here with, with the podcast is to be able to you know, give you information that you can then take to wherever your local water is, make use of it, and hopefully catch more fish with that. So that's our goal so jesse what is your favorite line that's 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 such you a loaded can't answer that question it, because it depends. It's, there's too it's many not variables. fair it's not fair there's too many variables it's not fair you can't really say like oh if you had to pick one line what would it be uh there's so many different uh types of lines and manufacturers and whatnot and to choose just one line of like oh like i will only ever use braid like it's it's not conducive because braid has its strengths but it also has its weaknesses so just kind of like to start off the like the show first off i thought it'd be good to talk about um kind of the history we'll, we'll do a little bit of talking of each of the ones so braid is actually one of the oldest lines around like it has been one of the oldest fishing lines used for hundreds of years is braided line back in the day they would use natural materials like cotton or linen uh, the issue with that is anytime it was used it would have to be stretched out and dried or else it would rot on the spool oh imagine how time consuming that'd be after every day of fishing you had to dry your line out imagine how your car would smell with all those people who just throw the rod in the back window of that car oh (laughs) that'd be disgusting so uh braid has been around for a long time so in more modern times of course we're not using cotton linen they also had some like silk uh the first non 100 natural braided line they actually mixed uh, certain chemicals and such like coated silk braided line hmm. was the first non 100% natural uh, braided line to be on the market but nowadays they have like it's all synthetic so they have dacron spectra microdyneema are all the different uh, composites essentially that go into a braided line that we have today so for yourself jesse what do you like do you use braid what do you like to use or what applications do you like to use braid in I think braid is one of those things that a lot of people will just be like, well, I'll just put braid on my rod and just use it. Because, like, again, you can catch any dumb fish on braid. 
you know, a lot of fish, they don't really care if they see your line or they're dumb, right? So, like, I feel I'm, like... I mainline braid a lot. Yeah, like, <laughs> and, and we'll get into that more. And I, I feel like you can do that. So, I feel like that's why a lot of people just use it for everything. Yeah. And a lot of those people, no offense to them, they'll be like, oh, bastard, dumb, you can just use straight braid. But the reality is you can't sometimes. Like, maybe don't you think if you use something else that you might catch more fish than you already do? And it doesn't all come down to just can the fish see it or not. There's other factors why you'd want to use a different line. And I feel like a lot of people, I get people that message me on Instagram and stuff. They have a lot of like deep-seated opinions that are based basically on nothing, just their own opinion. Yeah. So like they'll be like, oh, fluorocarbons are a waste of money. And then they'll be like, this is why and this is why. And then I'll be like, there's three other reasons why it can be good. But anyway, braided line I use for generally heavy vegetation. Like if I'm punching, frogging, fishing around, you know, any kind of weeds, it's not really good around wood as yep. much. Um, I do like it for topwater fishing yep. with, you know, I'll use a little monofilament leader just so the trebles don't get all, you know, caught in the, the braid, braid is so limp, it just wraps around the hooks. But anytime that I need, you know, ultimate power to get yep. fish out, especially weeds, like largemouth bass fishing, 90% of the time, you know, I'm using braid yep. and it's so thin. It cuts through weeds so good. Yeah. So in this episode you're going to hear a lot of a lot of our opinions on what we like to use again you may not agree with them that's completely fine you can make a podcast yourself and tell us your opinion <laughs> but you're also going to hear a lot of stuff you know like the not so much the science behind but the facts about it like so for example braid it is it's going to be much smaller diameter for a higher tensile strength so like 30 pound braid is the same thickness of I think eight pound mono yeah like it's it's insane so you can hold way more line at a 30 pound strength rating which its breaking strength is probably closer to 40 yeah and now you you know if you're fishing heavy cover and you've got a a shallow spool in your bait caster or a smaller uh, spinning rod that you're trying to fish these lakes in then braid might be a good option because you can fit more line than if you wanted to put on 20 30 pound fluorocarbon or mono you're barely going to get any on your spool with with you know a standard sized reel so by switching to braid and just running a small leader after that if you decide you're going to get your proper amount of line on there with the strength that you need so that's one of the benefits the downside to braid is it does it's the poorest for abrasion resistance because it's made up of so many like small fibers you get like six six strand eight strand mm-hmm. uh, braid whenever it's rubbing against something if it damages one of those fibers it loses a lot of its strength uh, integrity it doesn't really get like deformed it doesn't stretch either so it's good because it's very sensitive you can really detect bites really well with it it floats but at the same time the flip side of it not stretching is when you're fighting a fish immediate impact strength like if, if you're setting the hook on something yeah you're using 30 pound braid but that would probably snap a lot quicker on a heavy hook set hook set than 12 or 14 pound mono would if you're using 30 pound braid because there's no stretch all of a sudden it's trying to move this like four pound bass and you reef on it you're exerting like 50 60 pounds on that line instantly right at the knot and you can you can easily snap braid on a hook set yeah it happens if you're trying like oh how strong this line you wrap around your fingers and pull you'll just slice your hand open with the braid yeah so again there's there's pros and cons to both and well, at the end of the episode, I want to go over kind of just a list of the pros and cons for all the lines again. Yep. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's that's essentially braid. That's a, a brief rundown on it. We'll talk more about overall uh, monofilament. So that was the next line uh, that was manufactured after they started using more modern materials with the braid. They started making monofilament. Monofilament is actually a nylon nylon line. Monofilament is one filament one strand single strand line that's literally what it means so it it's monofilament isn't an actual uh you know material it's describing what the line is it's actually a nylon line uh so that was in uh invented in 1937 Hmm. was when mono started to be produced for fishing line now for mono it uh, some of its qualities it has uh it stretches it is almost neutral buoyancy it has very good abrasion resistance compared to, other, you know, we're talking about fishing lines here, not like <laughs> if you rub it against a knife, guess what? It's going to cut it. But, yeah. you know, abrasion resistance, it's it's higher than braid for sure. It does have stretch. 
it's not as sensitive because it's probably the least sensitive line out there for for you know depending on what you're using of course if you're using 80 pound mono it's not going to stretch very hard for for that but at the same time it's not going to be sensitive at that thickness either um the strength versus the the size it doesn't have a high ratio it's it's mono and fluorocarbon are very similar in a lot of aspects with uh with just minor differences in reality so that's kind of some of the characteristics of monofilament or nylon line so i know you and i we grow up fishing mono like yeah. that's what we had you look oh. at any your grand if you go to your grandpa's rod right now i can guarantee you you're gonna find it some blue, blue strand, strand blue monofilament strand. <laughs> on it yep yep so that stuff like people have been using it for years definitely don't cast that change that line now for your grandpa do him a favor <laughs> change that line so he doesn't snap off in his next fish yeah you know and, and mono it's not the best line for a lot of things but it's very inexpensive it's strong yep you know like there are pros to it and and to add to the mono you can also add a subcategory of copolymers like so like say a line like trilene xl or xt those are monofilaments but then you get trilene. technically fluorocarbon is a monofilament is a single filament line we should tell them that Maybe so they'll make so, it cheaper. so you said it was coal polymers right coal polymers so you're thinking they're actually lines. closer to the um to the fluoro because they're designed again to be slightly more invisible yeah uh in the water spectrum than mono again that's one of the slight differences between the two but but yes they're they're kind of in between monofilament and fluorocarbon but because it's not the actual material of fluorocarbon it's just considered monofilament true and usually they're they're very they're different they're similar yeah so you know there's lines like trilene sensation or um uh suffix advance which is a line that i use all the time for a lot yeah. of things and it has a little bit less stretch than a mono it still has stretch but a little yeah. bit less still a lot of abrasion resistance and they're, it's very inexpensive so that's another good option and we're going to be getting into the stretching a little bit as to uh why certain lines stretch more or less and, and how that can be actually altered by the manufacturer but yeah. um when would you like if you had to recommend to someone like a good application to use mono in, what would you recommend to use it? Like what species or what kind of style of fishing would you say? You know what? Mono is a good option. For mono this. is an excellent option for carp fishing. Excellent. I know a lot of people will be like, you know what? Carp are huge. I'm going to use braid. Depends where you fish. Like if you fish a weedy bay, that's probably a good option. But I fish with a lot of carp guys and, and they all use mono. And I'm yep. like, why are you using mono? And they're like rocks, mussels all these like things that that are down where you're fishing for carp like in, in lake ontario uh it, like it shreds through the braided line i lost more fish more carp on 50 pound braid than i did on 17 pound mono exactly and for me <laughs> 17 was good 20 um it's very strong it's abrasion resistant and there's lots of stretch so it's really good the shock absorption for fishing these big fish and any live bait situation i'd say like if you're fishing for catfish or you know um what are those stupid things called? Bowfin, yeah. carp, even like bass wally and stuff. If you're using live bait, mono is a great option. And, and if you're a weekend angler and you know, you're not out there and you're, you're, let's say you're not tournament angling and you just want to go out, you're casting crankbaits, you're, you're fishing under a bobber. Mono will get the job done. Like no issue. Mono will work completely fine for you. Yeah. So, you know, it's the, it's your cheapest option for line out there and it's, it's, hundred percent like i've been using it for years it's been around for decades i mean back what back in the the 60s and 70s even there are pros they're fishing some pros still like love fishing thick mono for for yeah. flipping and pitching yeah they're, they're they're rare but they're still out there and i think one of the main things about mono is its ease of use yeah you know it's not all easy line easy knots yeah. to learn as well every the fishing knot that everyone thinks of when they think of like oh the rapala knot or oh the you know the clinch knot, knot the trilene yeah, yeah. knot those are those knots they work great with mono and fluorocarbon some of them. if you try and use that on braid it'll it, slip so <laughs> it's, fast. it's done so but. a lot of people they shy away from braid because it's they find it difficult but there are some great videos i know roland martin uh he has some really good videos on uh like I, I like his because they're good quality and you can see the knots he's tying and he does a good job of explaining uh, the difference and why you'd want to use, why a uh, certain knot won't work for braid and why it will work uh, for braid. So I, I did like his videos on, on YouTube if you're looking for something like that. So I think one thing to add is, like you said, crankbaits. 
Yes. One combo that I do, I got uh, a Mojo Bass glass crankbait rod last year, oh. and I loved using it. And I'll use mono. Like, that's my choice of line. Like, I know a lot of people throw crankbaits on, on fluorocarbon, but for me, if I'm using, you know, a DT10 or something that dies around 10 feet or something, I'm just using 10-pound mono. Gets the job done for me. It's really stretchy. That's a, that's my choice of line for that application. And yep. it's not expensive line. Like just get some, you know, Trilene XL and it works good. Yep. Yeah, Trilene Sensation. Like I, I love sensation. I've used that stuff for years. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on to fluorocarbon then. Uh, fluorocarbon is made of carbo compound vinylidene fluoride resin. It sounds like toothpaste. <laughs> It has the word fluoride in it. There's fluoride. But it's shortened down to fluorocarbon. Uh, so it was invented in 1970. So a huge gap between 1937 for mono and 1970 for fluorocarbon. It kind of took the fishing world by, by storm. Like it caught on pretty quick. Um, and now, you know, you hear all these people saying, oh, mono absolutely sucks. Fluorocarbon is the best. It's better in every single way. That's not 100% true. Uh, you'll hear some of the things. So uh, this is where I want to get into like line stretch. One of the biggest things that I've heard, I'm sure you agree, it's a agree Jesse. Biggest myth on, on fluorocarbon yeah. doesn't stretch. That's why it's more sensitive than mono. Incorrect. Big X. Eh. Or they'll say, oh, fluorocarbon has very little stretch. Yeah. All the or pros will say that. Fluorocarbon is invisible underwater. Technically, it's not. It. So we'll start off with a stretch as, okay. as, as a myth. So... To say that fluorocarbon doesn't stretch is incorrect. On average, fluorocarbon will stretch 30% of its length. Mono will stretch 30% of its length. They stretch the same amount. The difference is when you have simple numbers here. So if you have 10 pound mono and you start pulling it at one pound strength or or one pound of, of exertion, it starts to stretch and it will continue to stretch until 10 pounds and then will snap. But all along from 1% to 100% of that weight, it's stretching the whole time. Instant stretch. Fluorocarbon will not start stretching until you're putting 5 pounds of pressure. 50% of its weight rating has to be exerted on it before it starts to stretch. Once it starts to stretch, it still stretches to 30% of its length. But it's only in the last last 50% of its weight rating that it does all of its stretching. So if you're trying to detect bites fluorocarbon will be more sensitive than mono because there's no stretch to the fluorocarbon on such a light bite when you set the hook and you're fighting that fish it's stretching 100 percent. another big difference with the stretch is mono is more elastic than the fluorocarbon so mono you can't overstretch it and you'll feel if you grab you know some some heavy some 12 pound mono or 10 pound mono even uh the thicker it's easier and you stretch that out and you can, you can pull it out and it'll release back. It'll relax back into its its original length. Uh, fluorocarbon can do that as well. But essentially, fluorocarbon, once it starts to stretch out, it remains at that length. So mm-hmm. it is then weaker and, and will have less stretch the next time it's used. Mono, you can overstretch it as well. So when you overstretch it, it won't release back to its full form. And you'll feel it's actually a narrower diameter. And essentially what's happening is it's it's similar to when it's manufactured it will uh, anneal itself, it's called. So it, it's heating itself up because it's pulling those molecules apart. And now it will, uh, as it cools again at that temperature, it cannot relax to its original state anymore. It has been stretched so far that it's heated to the temperature where that is now its solid state. Hmm. So both both are the same, but fluorocarbon, it is more accurate uh, or, or um, what's the word I'm going to say again? Sensitive. Sensitive. Yeah for detecting bites but for fighting a fish it still has stretch so that is a huge a huge plus for why it's advantageous and just to add to the sensitivity and this is the main thing that i tell people i don't care that it's invisible so to say or or very clear there are techniques that the sensitivity of fluorocarbon is way better than braid people are like oh braid doesn't stretch it has the best sensitivity braid is wispy and floats so like say you're fishing a bait and you cast it out and it sinks straight to the bottom. Your braid is slowly sinking down. Fluorocarbon is dense. Fluorocarbon sinks. It sinks down. Mon- mono is almost neutral. It's it's barely sinks. It's almost considered neutral buoyancy. Braid floats, mono is almost neutral. Fluorocarbon does sink. So if yeah. you are fishing 
like jigs and stuff like that. It gives or you a direct it'll, connection. It'll sit right down. And if, if you don't think that having a direct connection to a light bait down at the bottom where your line is sinking down and is tight to the bait doesn't make a difference, then I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but then, like we were saying before, like we'll use mono, monofilament for carp because you don't need to feel for a bite. We're using a hair rig or, or like a bolt rig. The carp comes along, you know, picks up the hook, tries to run, hits that bolt rig. It sets the hook itself right into the side of its face and it's going. Like we don't need to feel that. It yeah. just does it. Or bobber fishing, you know, you're, you're having visual strike. Uh, again, not to say you can't feel any bites with mono, but if you're... You know, if, if some if you're crankbait fishing and you're really in, there's constant tension on your line, you're gonna feel it when a fish hits it, hundred yeah. percent. Like any reaction bait, like spinner bait, buzz bait, top water, anything you just cast and reel in. So I, I, you yeah. can use mono. You'll feel the bite. I wouldn't I wouldn't say at all that you're at a disadvantage for having mono in any of those applications. Yeah. But if you're, you know, jig fishing, you're pitching and fishing or uh, flipping and pitching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fluoro will, like Jesse said, give you direct contact to that bait a lot better so again on those bites there won't be stretched same with braid braid does float so again it might not be the best in some of those applications but you know fishing really heavy cover you got a heavy tungsten weight on there anyways you're gonna feel that regardless yeah so again weigh your pros and cons for what what type of fishing you're doing with what line you're choosing um if i can i want to get into a little bit too as to how fluorocarbon and monofilament is made Oh, so yeah. to show their similarity similarities, they yes, it's different material. So one is nylon, the other one is fluorocarbon. I'll use the simpler terms. They're both made essentially the same way. So they come in pellet form to the factory, they melt them down, they then extrude them or extrude them through a, a small hole to create a single filament of this line. What they do then is they will uh they cool it then they heat it again they stretch it as it's heated what that does is as they stretch it while it's in that hot state it aligns all the molecules so you can imagine they're all kind of jumbled together but as soon as they start stretching that line it all kind of evens out and they align themselves into that single line that gives it strength along that whole length of the line then they heat it they let it cool a bit they heat it again to a specific temperature in what's called the annealing oven and that is essentially what locks in that diameter of line and that so it's weight rating and it's so that it's not going to relax back into a different shape or or you know the different molecular shape they stay aligned in that row uh, so by that annealing oven it relaxes those molecules to uh, prevent the line from shrinking back down now to get different weight ratings, all they do is they stretch it more or less. The more they stretch it, the lighter, the thinner the line's going to be, the lighter gauge it's going to be. They, they do the same thing with fluorocarbon, made the exact same weight, again, just different material. And whenever they have to, to have some lines be more stretchy or less stretchy, like I said, the average is about 30% for both mono and fluoro, but they can change at what temperature they heat that annealing oven to. That changes how much the line is going to stretch. How relaxed those molecules are when it's finished as manufacturing will determine how much stretch that line has. So you can get some mono that has a lot less stretch. It'll break easier. Same with the floor, a lot less stretch, it can break easier, but it's gonna have, be more sensitive. Or you can have like it a with a lot of stretch. Fine line to find the, the perfect ratio between yeah. being able to stretch a lot and being sensitive. Because you could go either, yeah. either way could be bad. Yeah. You know, so, too stretchy or snaps, it's too brittle. Yeah. So that's why generally, unless it's stated otherwise in the package, it's about 30% of the length. So that's, again, simple numbers. You've got 10 feet of line out. If you stretch it, it'll stretch three feet. Is that right? No, you got 100. Yeah, 30%. Three feet. It'll stretch three feet, and then it will snap. It reaches a breaking strength at that point in time. So that's like, what you think. That's 10 feet, extra three feet on that. Like, we've snagged, and you're, you know, you bomb a cast out with some 17 pound mono you're fishing for carp and yeah. jesse hooked into this snag out there like 60 feet away i walked back like 50 <laughs> feet before the thing snapped like you can't get it yeah so yeah so so that's some of the, the the benefits with it now uh so again so when you're looking at abrasion braid is at its biggest disadvantage monofilament and fluoro they are better at abrasion resistance both of them for stretch braid has no stretch mono is all stretch 
from 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 the get-go as soon as pressure is applied and fluoro has stretch kind of at at the last 50 percent of its weight rating for sensitivity braid and fluoro for bite detection are going to be your best again braid doesn't stretch at all so it's 100 percent sensitive uh your best strength for, for size ratio is going to be braid monofilament and fluoro they're going to be thicker they're both about the same and braid floats monofilament is neutral buoyancy and fluorocarbon will sink so that's kind of if if you can understand those basic principles of the different line that helps you then be able to know what you want to do so for me personally when i'm out fishing most of the time i run braid but i will also run a uh, a leader i'll yeah. often just use a mono leader because i don't like spending a whole lot of money but if I'm using, let's say, straight mono on my reel, again, it stretches, so if I cast out 50 feet, it's going to stretch a lot. I won't have very much bite detection. But if I'm fishing, you know, 30-pound braid or 20-pound braid, and then I tie on a 10-foot mono leader, there's a lot less stretch in that small section of mono than it would be if I had the whole, my whole spool was all mono, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one way where you can still get some of the advantage when you're fighting a fish, I'm no longer fighting on just straight braid. I have the rod flexing. I also have that 10 feet of mono that gives me up to three feet of stretch before it breaks. That's a lot of extra play that I can have on something where, you know, I don't want to have that that high tensile breaking strength of braid all the time. But I have a heavy gauge line that I can use in, in a lot of applications that uh, lasts a lot longer on your spool than, than mono and fluoro does. Yeah, like you can have braid on your reel for years. Literally years. But again, braid, you always take a look. If you're starting to see it fray, it, it gets weak really fast. Yeah. So so whenever you catch a fish, any line too, not to say that you know monofilament and fluorocarbon are completely abrasion resistant. They aren't. But if you... So you, know, you catch a fish, especially like if it's toothy critter, like he got pike or, or musky, that can 100%, like it'll nick your line and now it's weakened 100%. If you're fishing around timber and, you know, every few casts or, you know, after, after your morning, inspect your line. Even if you haven't caught any fish, but you've been fishing around weeds, you get a snag in the rocks and you pull it up and then you cast it over a log, you drag the line over. Just grab the line, run your finger over it, see if there's any fraying in your braid, see if you feel any nicks with your fingertips on your mono, on your fluoro. You take the time, just retie at that point because yeah, there's no worse it. feeling yeah. than we, snapping and, off later. And especially like when, when we're musky fishing, after you catch a musky... Yeah check that leader check the knot make sure everything's legit you wouldn't want to you know spend so much time and effort to actually finally hook a muskie and then have your leader snap or your knot snap off like always double check it's yeah. it's it's literally will save you from the worst feeling you'll ever have the gut punch when you miss a muskie and it snaps your line haven't had it yet but i'm sure it's a terrible <laughs> feeling the other there is a kind of a fourth type of line it's not as common these days uh but you can actually get wire so some of the old trolling reels and stuff like that, they would commonly fill them with, with even copper wire. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you can, well, oftentimes you might not have your full spool of it, but you'll often have a wire leader. And I know we grew up fishing for pike uh, because pike have, you know, sharp teeth and uh, they're like razor blades. They will slice through your line. They're not just sharp on the point. They're like knife edges. So if you're fishing for, for pike or for muskie, any of the Essex family of fish, uh, braid they'll slice through super easy super easy very easy yeah you can actually run a thicker gauge like the lightest i'd go is probably like 50 60 uh, if i'm fishing four pike i'd probably go like 80 pound fluorocarbon i know guys that use like 40 yeah and it, they, it can be they done. get bit off occasionally but most of the time they don't so that's that's again showing the abrasive resistance to some capability but again you catch a fish on a fluorocarbon leader you can inspect it after the benefit of which I really like fluorocarbon leaders for now, which we we are now using. I don't I don't even own wire leaders anymore. I use wire for bucktails because the vibration is different. But generally speaking, yeah, I'd say like eighty percent of the time we're using fluoro. So so fluorocarbon is I like it because the the wire kinked a lot, and I found that would impede the action of a lot of my baits that had this like super kinked up wire leader. You catch one fish on it, even if it's like a tiny you know 14 inch hammer handle pike and now your, your leader's all bent to pieces yeah and it, it sucked so having the fluorocarbon leader if i use a thicker gauge i i can land multiple fish on one leader without any risk 
Like, oh, I don't feel yeah. any risk of, of that thing snapping. Especially I was skeptical at first because I'm like, they cut through my mono all the time. But I, I was using 10-pound mono or yeah. fluoro. If you're using like a, a thicker gauge 130 line. 130-pound fluoro? Yeah, for musky, yeah, like 120 And I know plus. a lot of musky guys are like, oh, you, you're dumb. I would never trust fluoro. It's pretty much the industry standard now to use like 120 to 150-pound yeah. fluorocarbon. No one would use it if they got bit off. Because I have had less issues with fluorocarbon. No, I've been using them a lot less. I'll say that. So this might be skewed, you know, ratio overall. But I have had multiple wire leaders get cut or snap because they're kinked. Yeah. Happens all the time. They can break too. They're not indestructible. And you can't And I've had the the terminal tackle and wire leaders. I've had that fail so much more often than the tackle that I found on the fluorocarbon leaders. They're usually a bit more expensive, the flow leaders. But I find... The, the swivel, the snap on it, they're better quality than I find on a lot of the, even, you know, the ball bearing swivel wire leaders that I would get. Hmm. I found that the, the fluorocarbon ones are a lot more, uh, you know, resilient to, to, to fishing because I've had a lot of steel ones fail. And, and I think generally, say you're fishing pike and muskie, I don't think generally they care if there's wire leader. Yeah. Like some fish are finicky. But I don't think pike and muskie generally are. So a lot of people are like, are you using fluorocarbon? The fish don't care, you know. It has literally nothing to do with invisibility. Like a little bit, sure. That That's nice that that's an added feature. But it, it has to do with the fact that it's extremely abrasion resistant. And you can look at the leader and tell if it's damaged. You can't do that with wire sometimes. Sometimes if you get a kink, like you said, you can tell, oh, there's a kink here. If, if it straightens out, it might snap. But sometimes you'll get damage on your wire leader that you can't see. And yep. then you'll set the yep. hook and snap. Because often they're nylon-coated wire, like you said. Yeah. So, so yeah, the wire inside is broken, but the nylon outside looks fine. And, yeah, it's toast. Yeah. So that, that will break. definitely good for fluorocarbon. Yeah, you can you, you can visually inspect it. That's that's a good point. Now, you brought me back. Again, I forgot to mention about uh, between fluorocarbon and mono, uh, invisibility underwater. So fluorocarbon is the best line for invis- like invisibility, in quotes. Monofilament is also not very visible underwater overall. If you're fishing like super gin clear, you're going to notice a difference if you switch to fluoro. Yes, because it, it is better. So essentially how they work is um, the light spectrum, uh, the water refracts light at certain at a certain degree. And so monofilament, I can't remember exactly. I think it's like 0. 0.6 degrees off of of water whereas fluorocarbon is like 0.2 degrees so it's much closer to the light refraction that water is naturally that's why fluorocarbon appears invisible underwater it doesn't mean it doesn't however it does not match exactly so yeah if you have fluorocarbon in the water and you have like oh if it was truly invisible then you would have no issue running 500 pound fluorocarbon and like oh it's invisible like no at that point you're gonna see it because it you'll you'll notice that so some fish, they they can still be line shy if you're not careful, and a lot of it too isn't so much the line, but the like whether mono or fluoro, but it it could very well be how it's affecting your presentation. So exactly. I know with steelheading, yeah, I know you've had experience, like you have a lot more experience than that. But why don't you go ahead and talk about? Uh, I know you talked about before about leaders and switching to a lighter leader for better action, and it may not necessarily be the line itself, but yeah, it's the diameter. So like. Again, there's a lot of people that are like, fluorocarbon's a scam. Talk to any steelhead guy that fishes. You'll be hard-pressed to find someone that doesn't use fluorocarbon. And, you know, if you're talking about people that are, you know, professional bass anglers or TV shows and they're pumping product, yeah, you can see that they're, they're pushing their product. But normal people down at the creek aren't pushing product. And guess what? Fishermen are cheap. We don't want to spend money on fluorocarbon, but everyone does. Why is that? It's because it works better. Yeah. That's the reality of it. So if you say fluorocarbon, you know, is a scam, maybe, you know, try to think outside your little opinion there because people like us that don't want to spend high dollar for fluorocarbon, steelhead guys, guys that drop shot smallmouth, they all do. Yeah. There must be a reason for that. So when you're steelhead fishing, like I'm not that old, but I grew up when fluorocarbon was not really a thing for steelhead fishing. It was just kind of starting to get into it. People use monofilament leaders. Okay, they tie on, and, and again, they'd have to tie super wispy, thin uh, mono, three-pound test, some of them, you know? And as soon as fluorocarbon became popular, you know, like it has all those features of like, you know, it's abrasion-resistant, 
you know, maybe mono is a little bit more abrasion resistant than fluorocarbon, but fluorocarbon is still really good. You get some nice Japanese fluorocarbon, it's good, but it's dense, it floats, it sinks down better, and it's pretty much not invisible, but like you said, but it's as close to invisible it, as you it can is, get. It is a lot less visible than mono, 100%. Yeah, so it like is. say you're fishing steelhead and it's muddy water, it doesn't matter. Put yeah. on mono, it doesn't matter because the abrasion resistance isn't going to matter. The fish can't see your line anyway, but in gin clear water... Yes. Using fluorocarbon 100% gives you the edge. That's yeah. not my opinion. Ask anyone that steelhead fishes successfully. If you're chucking spoons off a pier for salmon, doesn't matter. Yeah. Those fish don't care. But or like, you, if you're fishing when... steelhead, that's a big difference. Yeah. And diameter, like you said, makes a big difference. So like, I've had guys tell me, oh, uh, you know, 12 pound fluorocarbon is just as invisible as three pound. It's like, it's not. And maybe even if it is, the diameter is what matters, right? So say you're drifting and you want to be as natural as possible. You're drifting down a little run. You have a single bead or a little, you know, a little fly or something. And you're running a thicker line. It's going to react different underwater. It's going to have more drag. It's going to be a lot more natural than if you're using four pound. And, it, and because of that stiff line, it, if it's bouncing along, if you're bouncing it along the bottom of the rocks, like that little bead coming along, if you've got a thick line, it's not going to have much movement. It's going to stay a lot more static through that water column as it drifts along. It's very different. It's not yeah. as natural. So I'm not saying you have to use like three pound line or, or four pound line, but like using a thinner line, it makes it just that much more natural. Yeah. When you're fishing for steelhead, especially on pressured water, yeah. like you fish the creeks now, there's like a hundred guys. There's if five you're, guys. You're in a, if you're having a tough day and you're fishing 10 pound floral leader, drop, drop down. it down to, to eight to six. You know what I do? I, it depends where you fish. Cause yeah. like, it's going to be different if you fish the Niagara <laughs> or if you fish an East trip, but like I've had some of the best days on pressured water where I go up to a pool after two or three guys are leaving and they're like, Oh, you know, caught one or two, but then they stopped biting a few hours ago. I'll go in there with three pound fluorocarbon leader. You know, there's not a lot of snags in this pool and I'll catch one on the second or third drift. Yeah. Because it, it's just different. It's more natural. It's, you know, it's just a super finesse. Now I don't recommend using that thin of a leader all the time, <laughs> but if it comes to it and it means that I can catch a fish, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Now, so what I want to do just quickly now at the end is, uh, I'm going to try and, and do some off the top questions here for you where uh, see what you can apply what we've learned here so i'm going to try and give the the well we'll just see how it goes so is this like a test not really okay. sort of i mean yes <laughs> so so is fluorocarbon less visible and more sensitive than mono yes correct at the same time to play devil's advocate here if i'm fishing a tannic lake up in algonquin park you know or up, up in the, the muskoka area and it's stained water and I'm casting crankbaits, am I going to notice a difference between fishing mono and fluoro? Or am I going to catch more fish either way? You won't notice a difference. No. So this this is where we want to like use your, like we want to teach you guys, all the listeners or, or viewers, to see what the line does, what it's better for in certain applications, essentially what its qualities are, so that you can make an informed decision. If you're going to your cottage, and you know your cottage you know, is on a, a, a body of water or a river where it's stained water like all the time like it is in a lot of the northern lakes then you don't really need to worry about having fluorocarbon if you don't want to spend that money and like oh the fish are going to see the line that's stained water you could probably run straight braid and have no issue yeah <laughs> you know like even when we went to fishing Algonquin park i ran straight braid that whole trip and you were fishing leaders the whole time and you were catching big bass i was catching big bass yeah it doesn't it, matter. it didn't make a difference yeah and like to add to that like Another thing I'd, I'd have to add after that is like, it's all about confidence. Yep. So if, if you feel that, you know, fluorocarbon is going to help you catch more fish, then buy fluorocarbon and use it because confidence is everything. Yep. So like, for instance, I like flipping jigs. A lot of guys fish braid. A lot of guys fish braid. But a lot of people too fish 20 pound fluorocarbon. You know what? I'll tell you, I like fishing 20 pound fluorocarbon better. It casts better. It skips better. It's just, it's fun. I, I enjoy it more. I don't like that rough noise of braid. I like using 20 pound fluorocarbon. It has nothing to do with anything else other than the fact that I like to use it. So guess what? I use it. Yeah. Use what you like. 100%. Unless it's a dumb choice. Like don't be <laughs> topwater frog fishing with mono like Andrew. Yeah. But <laughs> I've, I've actually done that. So a quick, just a little tangent there. So can you fish, you know, different lines for their not ideal circumstances absolutely can you catch fish in those ways 100 percent. jesse and i we were fishing uh a body of water body of water out in the Quarthas, 
and he's got on his, you know, 30, 60 pound braid. I was 50. 50 pound. Okay. Oh, sorry. 50 pound braid. <laughs> and he's, you know, pitching jigs or he's throwing frogs in, in like the slop. And there I am in my, my medium action spinning rod with 10 pound mono, like flicking my, my spider lure, actually, the one I'm thinking of. I flipped it underneath the dock. I'm like, watch this shot. And like, <laughs> I, I nailed this like snipe shot under this dock six feet back through like <laughs> multiple like horizontal dock pilings under this dock. So I knew that if I hooked something, I'd not only have to get it like out from it tangling around the dock pilings, but also over top of the horizontal supports. And I nailed this with like a two and a half pound bass, three pound bass. No, that was like a three pound bass. It was I at think. least three pounds. And I have no clue how we got it out. It's like through the dock piling. And so, I mean, you can do yeah, it. I did it. You know, or, you know, a lot of the bass, I'd, I'd hook up with him out there, you know, casting on a frog. But a lot of the time we'd have to paddle right up to him. Because you I'd can't scoop get the weeds. Because you can't rip it out. So, yeah. you know, braid way superior in that, in that scenario. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So always, you know, think about what the, the qualities of whatever you're fishing for whatever, or whatever you're fishing with. So your rod, your reel, what is it capable of? What is, what is, how is it going to act? How is your line going to act? How's your lure going to act? If you can answer those questions, you're going to be way more prepared to have a better time on the water, catch more fish and, and just be, have a more pleasurable experience. Cause you're not going to be fighting against these, these negative qualities about your gear that you're using when you're on the water. So, I hope that was helpful for the fishing lines. We do have some time left for the AOA Q&A. But before that, I just wanted to add, the first question you asked me is what line would I pick? What line would you pick, Jesse? If you had to run if one line. If I had to line, pick one line for everything, braid to leader. I agree. You can do anything with braid to leader. And again, like we were talking about. That's the, technically two lines. The, <laughs> fair. <laughs> but but I, the density I agree. of fluorocarbon has its advantages, but... Braid to leader is, is good for anything. Like I feel that if it came down to it for sensitivity, slack line detection, yeah. fluorocarbon will be more sensitive than braid to leader, 100%. Yeah. But generally, braid to leader is still sensitive. The thing is, if you put on, you could put on a 20, 20 yard leader if you wanted to. Yeah, you know, some So if some you wanted guys, to, to pitch, you could have your full backing of braid, you tie on an extra 20 feet of fluoro or, or 10 feet of fluoro, you're still going to have that direct contact that's going to sync with whatever you're pitching with to the bottom. So that that's a very good point that's probably that's what i run mostly on my reels now is is braid overall except for my carp reel yeah why not i and my salmon reel i run i run mono as well but other than that i run braid and i only i only ever tie on leader when the water is clear i run straight clear. braid most of the time yep and you still catch fish yeah so yeah i'd say braid a leader for sure and learn to tie well we have another episode coming up about knots but learn to tie a good knot Yep. There's tons of good connection knots. You don't have to learn the FG knot, believe me. That's an overkill knot. It's a it's a strong knot, but it's an overkill the, knot. The Albright knot works. Is the Albright? What's the... Uh, yeah, the Albright knot. Albright knot, yeah. For the That's, Crazy Alberto knot. Like those, crazy Alberto, yeah. Those knots I like the too. Albright knot is, is really easy to learn, not hard to learn how to tie. And that works for tying any leader to any mainline material that I've found. And the Unless you're using something super thick. but. And the secret is if you learn to tie an Albright knot, not correctly it won't break yeah people make it sound like if you don't tie an fg knot your knot's gonna break yeah. it's like nah for years before the fg knot came out we were tying the other knots and they were fine but anyway we'll get naughty another episode there's another right. naughty episode coming up so yeah <laughs> anyway that was interesting it's it, i've never i kind of understood how line was made like braid is easy enough to understand that yeah. they weave stuff yeah. together but like fluorocarbon and monofilament how it's made that's very interesting and it really opened my mind to mono is still an option yeah it's still an option i think all these people they just think you could never use mono and and you know what though I, i've if watched you want to save money you could even do a mono and then tie on a floral leader yeah like if you really wanted if you wanted that full stretch across the board but you still want that you know the fish not to see the first three feet of your line by all means just tie on a floral leader. if you really wanted to you could do that too oh 100 and just to add to that uh one youtube channel you should definitely follow is wired to fish yeah and amazing. i've been watching episodes here and there and i watched an episode we aspire to make videos like wired oh, yeah. to fish amazing <laughs> they're like i was watching an episode and they were fishing the guy was fishing jerk baits on a bait caster and he's like oh i'm using this jerk bait rod blah blah, blah and 10 pound mono and he was explaining why he was using mono and not fluorocarbon because he didn't want to get his jerk bait down like he didn't want the line to bring the yep. a line will actually bring your jerk bait down a few extra feet yep that's a fact and he was using mono at eight eight or ten and he was catching big smallies on it um and another episode i was watching 
they were fishing somewhere and it was you know the lakes in like minnesota they're very similar to the court there's a lot of milfoil foil and stuff yep. and he was flipping uh tubes for a large mouth and he was using 15 pound mono yeah he's he's like i can feel the bites good good hook setting power you just have to set the hook a little harder than if you're using braid and it, it works like it doesn't not work people think that mono doesn't work it does the good thing with mono too is when you're when you're fighting a fish too like to have that stretch all the way across the whole time when it's getting close to the boat if it starts shaking its head and stuff it's still got a lot of stretch in that line which is which is really really useful to prevent it from throwing that hook and we'll talk uh, yeah 100 percent. and we'll talk about that in another episode about choosing the right rod because like the the line you use directly correlates with what kind of rod you can yeah. use if you use a really stiff rod and a line that's really stiff like braid that has no stretch you're going to lose a lot of fish <laughs> so like for instance like i have a chatter rate rod it's a slow action glass rod that rod yeah. bends almost down to the handle yeah. and i can use braid on it because yeah. it, the, the rod bends a lot but if, if you're you know you're looking for a sensitive rod that doesn't have a lot of bend to it like an extra fast and you're using braid the rod doesn't really load up that well and you will lose a lot of fish at the boat yeah. side and the same time same thing too if you're using a soft rod and you're using mono or you know a, a stretchy line and you're casting frogs you're gonna have to like do an insane hook set to to launch those like big you know four-aught hooks into the roof oh of you the, probably of won't even mouth. get like, it it's, in. it's not gonna happen so so yeah so so hopefully that that has helped answer any of the kind of misnomers you've heard about different lines and whatnot but we'll we'll do some questions now on the aoa q a all right so the for the aoa q a this week we actually got about 35 that's pretty good 35 yeah. uh entries but anyway we're going to answer some of these for you we're going to go quick so this one's for andrew in your opinion what is the hardest fighting freshwater fish and this is b2 fresh i would say either smallmouth or or fresh steelhead yeah i haven't i don't have much experience with steelhead but the ones that i've hooked into like it's it's insane like you'll never hook into something and have it cartwheel out of the air five times in a row like instantly well but atlantic do that (laughs) yeah (laughs) but but smallmouth you know pound for pound i'm sure a lot of people agree are probably the best fighting fish in the freshwater world they're really hard they're silver bullets yeah i'd say atlantics i've caught a very small amount of them but the ones that i caught were insane (laughs) they were like sticks of dynamite all right this is a interesting uh question here raw milk cheese that's the instagram account guy Where's his question going? is <laughs> do you fish the spring sucker run i always used to as a kid but not since um i used to it's been a few uh, we went out we about went three out, years ago yeah we went a couple years ago i did go out last spring took took my wife out went her went for some suckers yeah it's I, nice to get people introduced like like i said he did it as a kid i yeah. think we both did it as kids i used to take my brother out for the sucker run and there was a big pool that we used to fish and it would fill with suckers the whole bottom of the pool was like black just yeah. all suckers we just chuck a doer out and some of these suckers are big yeah my biggest sucker i ever caught i caught a 26 inch sucker that's insane i i measured it i was like holy smoke like 26 inch yeah. sucker and you're catching them on an ultralight <laughs> yeah. six pound test but the, i think my favorite way to catch them is fly fishing for them yeah you fish a little prince nim for a little hair's ear just down right on yep, the bottom. Get some dust shots in front of it to bring it right down. And I never thought it would work. And dude, it works. Yeah. And you can sight fish for them and just get the fly right in front of their face. And you just see them yep. like suck it up. Egg, egg sucking uh, egg sucking worms too. Those Leech, flies. Yeah, yeah. yeah those, those work well. And they worms. fight in the spring surprisingly well. Yeah. And I've never ate one myself. But my grandpa in back in I've the tried. day, he used to pickle suckers. Yeah. Like he'd catch them. He wouldn't even flay. Like the bone would still be in and everything. And he'd pickle it and it would make the, you know, the bone dissolve. Um, Urban Bass Toronto, his question was, your pin. He has a three, so we'll we'll just go quick. Okay. Your opinion on bed fishing in Ontario? You think that should be legalized or? That's that's a tough. Like, for me, I feel bad about it because I I do know how much that can affect the spawn. If it's a small like, the, and where I've seen it is like small ponds. If I was to go bed fish on a small pond where there's only like, you know less than 100 let's say you know big breeding or good size breeding bass you pull off a bed that's a big number of those eggs that'll most likely get eaten up by sunfish coming in waiting on the outskirts of that bed coming to get it so depending on the fishery if it can support it i know like the saint lawrence they were doing that in the tournaments i've listened to some of the podcasts about that yeah like for that that fishery i'm sure it can handle it so oh, 100%. for that i'm fine if it's a small body of water 
I would probably personally I would avoid it just because I I I don't want to be one of the people that are responsible for future generations not being able to fish. I'm I'm a hundred percent against bed fishing. Yeah. That's just my opinion. I feel like the bass are at their most vulnerable state, and they're they're literally making babies that you can catch in the future. I I probably would never purposely go out to do it, yeah. but at the same time. If you were fishing and there was still a bass on its bed and it was like an eight pound bass and you're like, I want to catch up for the gram. Would you not toss something at it? And it was legal. And it was legal. It would be a hard temptation. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, Would I ever seek that out? Probably not. Yeah. Um, His second question, your opinions on using live scopes in tournaments. Again, we talked about this last time. Like, if everyone has it, it's fair. If everyone has it, it's fair. If you, <laughs> if I was in the tournament, I'd be like, none of you can use it. I can't afford that. Yeah. <laughs> the only time I think LiveScope is unfair, so to say, and I don't mean to like play a little violin, but it's unfair for people who can't afford it. Yeah. Most people can't afford to spend five, six thousand dollars on on technology yeah. or electronics. But in tournaments where you're you're That's driving your livelihood. in an expensive you take boat. every advantage you can. That's your livelihood. Yeah. And maybe it's not big tournaments. Maybe you're just talking about like clubbies or like little tournaments. Yeah. Some guys can afford it. Some guys can't. I, I can go either way. I don't really care. I feel like if you have it and you know how to use it properly, you can be deadly with it. But some people have it and just don't know how to use it. So <laughs> I, I still, you still have to catch the fish. Yeah. I, I don't really have an opinion on it because it's something that I'll never own and it doesn't affect me personally. At least not in the near, until it drops down in price, I'm not going to. Yeah. Um, it, hey, if it was affordable, 100% I'd yeah. buy it. Yeah. But anyway, uh, his last question. This doesn't count as three entries, by the way. Yes. Uh, bass versus major league fishing. So I'll explain it to Andrew because I, like, I, I kind of follow yeah, the tournaments follow a little bit. Bass is like, you know, bass master. You know, the guys right. catch the biggest five fish and they, they keep the fish in the live well and they go yes. to the weigh-in and they, they hold the five biggest fish. And it's yes. like that's the format is to catch five biggest fish. Major league fishing is like, you don't keep they, five. There's you, a t- person in the boat with them, right? And they weigh it. So yeah. you catch a fish. It used to be like minimum 12 inches. Now it's, I think it's minimum two pounds. Cool. It's like two pounds and up. And then you just rack the weight up all day long. Cool. So, and, and the fish, I like the point of MFL because the fish are treated very respectfully. Like you yeah. get fish handling violations if the fish touches the boat. Yeah. If it touches the floor, fish handling violation. You know, like I like the fact, I don't like how fish are banging around in a live well all day as they're driving around. The kill rate on that is is pretty high too like when they when they're in those live wells a lot better than it used to be yeah but at the same there are time fatalities there's fatalities yeah. there's gonna be a lot less in the mfl rules so for the bass for the actual fish mfl is way better but for bass master i feel like it's better because like you're not seeing the weights increase all day so it's more of like who's gonna win who's gonna win it's more exciting yeah. and then you actually have the live weigh in where everyone's holding up I, the big fish that's what the people want. Yeah. Like I, I, it's cool because the bass, you're going to have, like you're getting your five biggest fish. So everyone's targeting large. Like, yeah. Not large than bass. There's large fish. Yeah. I kind of like the other one too where it's kind of like how I go out and I fish. Like, yeah, I'm not casting giant swim baits or not that they do either, but I'm not only aiming for large fish when I go out. You know, like, yeah, I'd love to catch some big ones and I'll try and, you know, use my, my skills in order to, to achieve that. But at the same time, I, I love catching like a bunch. If I have a hundred fish day and none of them break three pounds, that was a great day. Like yeah. that's an amazing day. So to see like the pros doing that same thing on lakes, for me, that's exciting to see. That. But does it take more skill to catch a bunch of two pounders than it does to catch like five, five or six or seven pounders? It takes way more skill, I would say, to catch the five, like to get a, a 25 pound bag or a 30 pound bag. It's yeah. like, that's insane. Like That is something I am nowhere close to achieving. Like, that is way harder of a skill. Yeah, it's more... I find Bassmaster more impressive, but... but as for the, the all that ethical stuff, side of it, yeah. I do like just weighing the fish back in the water. You're not pulling it off of its area, and I think that's cool. Last question, because we're running out of time here. Yeah. Tackle Box Tony. Best real brands. Honestly, I've used a lot of real brands. The, the ones that I have the least problems with, Shimano and Daiwa. Yep. Yeah. They're more, they're a little more expensive, but they're actually engineered in their own factories. Like me and Andrew talked, we were just at, yeah, we, just we were that. just at Ganyons <laughs> before this playing with some of the reels. Um, I own Abu's. I've had Abu before. My first reel I actually went on bought was an Abu Garcia spinning reel. Yeah. And I still have that thing. It's a little wonky now, but I've had it for almost yeah. you know, and 20 I'm not saying years. They make bad reels. I just, I've owned them. I wouldn't buy them again. Now we have to announce the winner, winner for last week's giveaway which is the lunker hunt spider 
Andrew has the random number generator on his phone and the number was 35 entries. So tell me the number. 30? Yeah. Okay. 28. 28. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> this was not a question that we actually had time to answer today, but that just goes to show if you ask a question, even if we don't yep. talk about it, you can still win the prize. And the prize was actually from Wambates Canada. So nice. Wambates, we're actually excited to see him at CanCast. Yeah. Wambates, you, sir, have won a Lunker Hunt Spider, and we will get that to you real soon. Again, we're going to have a giveaway fairly regularly. And again, if you're a brand or own a company and you have fishing-related products and you'd like to sponsor a giveaway, um, please send us an email or message us directly on Instagram and we'll we'll get you all set up. We're actually starting our sponsor giveaways uh, next month. So we're nice. excited about that. And the slots actually are filling up pretty quick. So if you want to get in before the you know summertime, then definitely let us know. Yeah. So thanks a lot for listening. Uh, before we sign off, we have... Uh, we just want to let you know we really appreciate you listening to the podcast uh, we really appreciate you following us on Instagram uh, you know subscribing to the podcast viewing it on, on YouTube subscribing to our YouTube channel we can be found everywhere at uh, just by searching Average Ontario Anglers from recognize our our blue logo there so if you know we love to get feedback as well so if you want to reach out to Jesse or myself Instagram is probably the best way to do that where we can be easily reached we both also have uh, Jesse's oftentimes on, on AOA itself. Uh, if you want to reach me directly for, I don't know what reason you would have to do that, but I'm also at AOA uh, underscore Andrew. So that's uh, generally who who are you going to reach when you respond to either of those uh, accounts. But we love to get feedback from you guys. We love the support that we've already heard from the community. And, and the please buzz. write us a review. Yes, write us a review. That helps a lot. So thank you for showing us your support. Thanks for listening. And hope you guys... Have a great time in the water this year. And we'll see you next episode.